0: Hello and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Today, I want to reflect a little on my perspective on the life of Pastor Ralph White of the Bloomfield Baptist Church. On Saturday this past weekend, Pastor White transitioned into heaven. And all that is a glorious place for him to be. Our prayers and thoughts for his dear wife, Janet, their three children, grandchildren, and church family goes out right now. My relationship with Pastor White was mostly through the times we spent here in the studio sharing the movements of his heart about caring for people in our city. I want to play some portions of three separate interviews, starting with this one back in July of 2009, where he was my guest on the Pastor's Forum radio show. Welcome to Pastors Forum. I'm Byron Tyler. He's a grandfather for the sixth time in just two days upon the recording of this program. We welcome not only the pastor of the Bloomfield Full Gospel Baptist Church, but also a proud grandfather of a brand new baby, Pastor Ralph White. Ralph, how are you doing? Doing great. You got that grandfather smile on you? Yeah. You don't look like you're old enough to have six grandchildren.
1: Oh, yeah. My oldest son is 40 years old. Now,
0: you are one of 10 children yourself, right? and how many children did you and your wife have? Three. Two boys and a girl. And you were telling me that some of these grandchildren
1: are graduating from college? My oldest, now she's a twin, now her brother, as a matter of fact, wasn't the college material, but he took aircraft uh, mechanic course in high school, so when he decided, Dad, I can't go to college. He got a job in Dallas. He's an aircraft mechanic, but she's an, a senior at Alabama, and her sister—they just couldn't agree. She's a sophomore at Auburn. That's
0: at a big difference now. My sister-in-law and family a couple years ago moved to Huntsville. My nephew, and these are Mississippi State graduates, okay, but when my nephew went to school in Alabama for the first time to start school, he was having to make the decision, am I going to be an Auburn fan or an
1: Alabama fan? So there's big rivalry there. Yeah. So does that carry on into the home too? Somewhat. And My son, as I said, he's a professor at uh, Samford University in, in Birmingham. So it just depends who's playing. Depends but- on well, when it comes down to it, we're all uh, rooting for the University of Memphis. Hey, I'm rah-rah for that. <laughs> Go Tigers.
0: Pastor, you grew up in South Memphis. You delivered papers as a young boy. The neighborhood that uh, you grew up in, you're the same neighborhood that you're now pastoring there at Bloomfield Full Gospel Baptist Church. And God told you to stay. And God told you to care for people who need to know the Lord, and that's what you've been doing now for how many years?
1: I've been there 25 years as pastor, but I've worked with youth organizations, Campus Groups, for Christ, because my former church was right there in the neighborhood too, Shady Grove Baptist Church. So I grew up there working with young people. We had a group way back we called the MCCAL, those Memphis Christian Community Action League. So we're a group of young people who cut yards, helped older people, clean their houses, things like that. So that's always been, we do park ministries, street ministries, et cetera. So it's always been a part of my, I guess, my ministry. I really never wanted to pastor. I like the freedom of being able to just do things that were somewhat unorthodox. Being called to the ministry or pastoring, I guess it really gave me a, a base and a foundation. So much of what we were doing way back then, we're still doing that now. And we've got young people who are coming up taking the baton and moving with the vision that God has given me.
0: Now, you worked for Sears for a number of years,
1: too. I was with Sears a little over 20 years in sales and management. So uh, that was a good—that was a nice part of my life. Sears was very good to me, and I had to move on to something else, Uh, selling a different product, (laughs) like I mentioned, has a lifetime guarantee. Pastor, did you have a history of ministers in your family? Not really. Not directly, uh, I found out later on I had a cousin who was minister, and, but not that that was not the case. We didn't have—now we have quite a few ministers in the family, in-laws, et cetera, who are ministering and doing great jobs. Pastor Keith Norman at First Baptist on Broad Street, he's married to one of my nieces, and she's in the ministry. And I've got several other nieces. Kenneth William Junior.'s married to one of my nieces. Uh, she's in the ministry, and all those guys are doing great jobs. James White there in South Memphis also— so just quite a few guys who are in the ministry now, but no, not a history of pastors or ministers.
0: Sometimes we watch the evening news and we hear about breaking news or crime reports. We hear about people being shot or things happening in our community. What's the church's role? Meeting people that are confused, maybe living in a chaotic world.
1: Yeah, well, I think we they're there for us to minister to. And we've found that all of those that we minister to don't don't receive it, you know, as as we administer it, but it's still our job to continue to do it, because if we can win one soul out of twenty, then we've still accomplished something. So it's an ongoing process and that was why I think I mentioned to you that what we do even with this other ministries we've got going, we need to we understand that we got to get out of the mindset of things becoming events, but it becomes a movement. This is what we do it's ongoing. And there's no way of measuring success. There, there You know, we just continue to do it. Sometimes we're disappointed. Our hearts are broken. But we get up, we dust off, and we just continue to do the work. Because until Jesus comes, you know, the, the work is there. He said the harvest is plenteous. But there's a labor problem in the church house. And what we've got to do, <laughs> we've got to be those people who are good laborers. And that's the role that we try to— a fulfill is that of reaching the need, meeting the needs, and reaching those young people in the community. And
0: that's one of the things you've been doing now through a movement called God So Love, something that we share with our listeners a couple of years ago or better, when uh, God had really put on your heart something that as a platform, whether it be the fishing rodeo or your men going out on the corner at two o'clock in the morning to pray with drug dealers and prostitutes bringing the ministry of the gospel to the streets.
1: Yeah, definitely so. And that is the work of the church. I understand we have individuals who say they have certain callings upon their lives, but in the midst of all of that, evangelism and outreach should be the main thrust of any ministry. If you don't reach, then, you know, who do you preach to? We want to bring people and teach them, but we got to reach them before we can teach them. Bishop, Hubert Patterson said something that has somewhat stuck with me. He said, said, you can't clean fish before you catch them. And so we've got to catch the fish before we can teach them. And to do that, I guess we're in a mindset of waiting on people to come to our church so we have certain programs, and all that's good. But nowhere in my Bible is the gospel something you come here. It's always been go tell, go preach. And so if we want them, while we're waiting on them, they're out there waiting on us. And we've proven that. We've gone and we've seen them. And then they say, look, we appreciate so much you're coming out here just showing love. We've seen men who we know are hardened by the streets, who once we get through praying with them, being impacted by a number of men coming to them and praying, serious in our prayers and sharing with them, we see young men whose eyes are filled with tears, and they say, we are so glad you came. That drives me, and when I see the breaking news, and just last night, it's ironic you mentioned that, there was a shooting in my neighborhood near my church, and actually the individual came to the fire station that was directly across the street from my church. So I'm in the process, once I leave here, going to find out where that happened, to go to that area, and actually Pray over that area. Pray over the atmosphere. And we've done that before. And we had a young lady to go and said, I need you to round those people up. In the middle of the afternoon, we had over 100 people showed up. And we talked to them. And we prayed over that area. And we put these signs out. So, well, what signs go? We're talking about, we're not talking just a sign. But us, those of us who are spiritual, we're talking about the presence of God, the presence of God. We're not talking... A sign that we feel the sign, we're not dealing with luck, but we're talking about bringing the presence of God into a community. That's the main focus of the God So Love movement. We've got to change the atmosphere.
0: As we continue our memorial on the life of Pastor Ralph White of the Bloomfield Baptist Church, I want to take you back now to January of 2015, when Pastor White stopped by the studio to talk about addressing the crime issues of our city. Something that you talked about past interviews that we've done is how important it is for citizens of our community to engage this issue together. If you live in urban or suburban, recently we have seen a number of crimes, home break-ins in the Germantown community, and people are concerned about that. Talk about that aspect.
1: You know, we've talked about this uh, in some of our previous interviews, is that it's not a South Memphis or Whitehaven or North Memphis issue. If we uh, don't do anything, what, what's the saying? uh best way for evil to prevail is for godly men to do nothing. And we're at, at that point for people to say, well, look, we're isolated from that. Let those individuals in their communities deal with it. But I kind of use an illustration. When there's nothing to steal in South Memphis, they'll steal a car and move to East Memphis, a Cordova, a German town. So it becomes our problem. And so often I've heard individuals say, I just never thought it would happen here. It can happen anywhere. So we just all have to come together. We all have to become concerned about the issues that impact in this whole city, because at some point in time, it's going to knock on our doors. And we see this happening.
0: And there's two areas, apathy and those who think, well, I'll just move away.
1: Yeah, that's sad. Uh, those who are apathetic, well, you know, I, I just don't care. It hadn't happened to me. And then when it does happen, we want everybody to focus on us, you know. But we need to be concerned when it happens to our neighbor. And then we, you know, we can't move away from it. It's happening everywhere. Crime has no boundary. Sin has no boundary. And when we look at crime, et cetera, we understand that the root of it is the sin that's in the hearts of men and we've got to change that
0: out of the heart the bible says are the issues of life
1: definitely so. you know
0: and that's what jesus came to address is the heart issues of man
1: right out of ignorance we have looked at it and we try to place color on it we have tried to place economics on it and no 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 it's an issue that all of us have to deal with now satan will take any title we put on it he can call it racism he can call it classism Whatever you all want to call it, just let me be in control. And that's what's happening, and we try to separate ourselves from that. But if we are the body of Christ, uh, we have a responsibility to be our brother's keepers. Yeah. Uh, talk about stepping
0: out of that comfort zone, saying, you know, this is your fight, not mine. This is
1: all of our responsibilities to take issue with this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just followed the example that Jesus said. I mean, I mean you, we don't have to—I'm not unique in what I do. Other churches, other people are doing it, and they understand that this is our responsibility. I live in a nice neighborhood, comfortable home. I've got my recliner. I've got a big screen TV. I've got all that. So I could just lock my doors and say, you know, let the world do what the world wants to do. I'll stick at my salary at Bloomfield. And if I can give them a good message and— a good Bible study, and do those things, make sure I visit the ones who are sick in my church and bury the dead and marry the young, then that's what I get paid for. But that's what I get paid for for being pastor of Bloomfield. But I'm a Christian, and then I have a ministry that's in my spirit that I have to do whether I'm pastor or not. So what I do in the streets with God's love, etc., transcends what I am as pastor of Bloomfield. And I think one of the mistakes we make is that being a Christian is a part of some people's resume. That's one of the things I do. But we must understand that this is not something I do. This is who I am. And once we realize that, then we are going to take on Jesus. So I need you to take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So what would Jesus do? And we used to say that so much. We wore the buttons and had the bumper stickers, but that stays entrenched in my mind. What would Jesus do? And what Jesus would do, I want to find myself doing We talk
0: about the detriment or the things that happen in our society, the gangs and the violence and things. You're actually extending yourself. As you mentioned, you're going to these neighborhoods where these gangs are involved and participating, and you're reaching out and you're putting an arm around them to listen to them. I mean, your youth pastor, Eric, is a prime example. I mean, he's on your staff now, but there was a time when he was a gang member, and he didn't want anything to do with the church, but you took time for him.
1: Yeah, and we've got a meeting just Thursday with he and his boss we're bringing a piece of that ministry over to our neighborhood now but go back to this uh, when we do this you know the Lord blesses etc but when we did our seven days and seven nights I think I was with you the one of those nights while we were out there and you got to understand someone came and just dismantled all of our air conditioning units on one of our other buildings just you know and we looked at that. So even in the midst of you doing what's right,
0: let's just back up just one second. We talk about the seven days and seven nights. This is where your church, the men mainly of your church, women too, but many of the men, yeah. would come together for seven days around the clock, right, praying nonstop,
1: right. And we were on the street corners. We weren't just under the tent or no. We Sharing,
0: you were witnessing to those in the streets.
1: Twelve, two, and three in the mornings, we were witnessing. To individuals on the streets, we had some individuals who came up. One was a murderer; she confessed it. But that was her part of her resume, and some other, you know, fellows who had other things going on in their lives. And these are the people we we met, we talked to, we prayed for. So um, all of the various negative elements in the community, we we've confronted them. The harvest is still truly plenteous, and we just want to make sure that laborers you know and so that's what we do and um, things will come to try to discourage you but you just have to pick up and move on
0: this third and final clip with pastor ralph white was aired in september of 2015 shortly after memphis police officer sean bolton had been gunned down by a man pastor white personally knew in the community we welcome pastor ralph white of the Bloomfield Baptist Church in South Memphis. Ralph, it's always good to have you here on Mid-South Viewpoint.
1: Appreciate you having us. Good to be here.
0: You called me a couple of weeks ago, and you were right in the middle or just concluding a situation that really sent a shockwave through our community after Memphis police officer Sean Bolton on a routine traffic stop was shot. And the individual, Tremaine Wilborn, 29 years old, is an individual that you knew. Right. First of all, tell me about Tremaine and when you
1: first met him. Did he live in the neighborhood where your church is? Right. He lived uh, in a housing development directly across the street from my church, uh, Montgomery Plaza This the name of the housing development. I've known him from a small kid up. We had many activities in the community he would participate in, and just an average young man, you know, played basketball, came and ate with our men, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, in and out of the church, but he was constantly around us. And as young people grow up, they kind of grow away. And I think I heard that Tremaine is in jail. He robbed a bank. I said, what? So we went on and on, you know, that time passed. And after he got out, I got a chance to talk with him after that. There again, there was not just a constant communication, but he was in the neighborhood. And then when this situation came up, and I saw this picture to my wife. I, I said, I know that little guy. And uh, she, she yeah. I said, yeah, I know him.
0: And when you him. say little guy, of course, I know your uh, age in comparison. Yeah. I mean, he's 29 years old. Obviously, he's a grown man.
1: <clears throat> yeah, he's a grown man. See, my kids are older than he is. Right. So uh, when I said, I know that little fellow. But uh, yeah, yeah, young man. To me, that's what they are. When you look at me, I'm 67 and that's a baby. That's the way I see these they're still children, they're still kids. And at some point in time, they missed something in life that took them in the direction that they chose. We look at that from the standpoint of maybe we missed some opportunities to really bring those young men in. So to me, it becomes a thing of my saying, hey, I've searched myself. Could I have impacted him more
0: how could you have possibly impacted him more and what are the opportunities that we possibly have missed in not reaching Tremaine
1: well you know uh, I'm not saying him specifically but I think we do miss a lot of opportunities and, and I feel that we do quite a bit in reaching out to young people but even in doing all you do when you see something like this if you are really concerned about the future of Not just him, but our city and our young people. You ask yourselves, could I have done more?
0: And really, he represents, in this case, many youth in our community. Definitely so. Those that you try to reach out to through the ministry of Bloomfield, the different events that you have, prayer vigils you have about crime. Each year you do the Hands Around 201 Poplar, where the faith community comes out and joins hands and prays about the crime issues in our city, which are quite statistically high and one of the highest in the country.
1: Yeah, and we get out in that neighborhood. We go out, we spend 24 hours a day in the neighborhood praying, talking to people. So it's not that we're not doing it, but even in doing it, you ask yourself, did I miss something? So we just have to intensify our efforts in reaching out to these young people. But when I saw his picture, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to talk him into giving himself up. And I didn't know how, but I woke up early that morning and was on my mind. I had another meeting, but I went by this certain place, dropped my card off, said, have this young fellow call me. This was another fellow who I knew, possibly knew him because it was in the neighborhood. I got a call and the call said, hey, meet me in such and such a place. And we had to pull that together. I said, I don't know that that'll be good. We, we need to decide where we're going to meet and how we're going to meet. And we orchestrated all of that and eventually wound up turning him into the U.S. Marshal.
0: So the whole time <clears throat> from the time you saw his picture on television, recognized that you knew Tremaine. we looking for a way that you could talk to him about turning himself in. Right. Did you already think through the process of what would happen or what potentially could happen? I mean, he was armed and dangerous at that time.
1: You know, I guess I do pray on the thing, and you feel that the Lord is in it, and I definitely did, uh, because everything that I decided to do, it worked like clockwork. So I saw that the Lord was orchestrating. So you
0: that. really sensed the presence of God mm-hmm. directing definitely you so. and guiding you through that. Of course, you met at one of our parks. Was it on Riverside?
1: I met on Court Street. In Court Street, almost r- around the corner from the Federal Building, so not far at all.
0: You're used to walking up in places of our city where gangs hang out and just up close and personal and confronting guys, sharing the message of Jesus Christ and the love of Christ.
1: Definitely so. And, you know, some people look at it like, well, you know, I don't put the same hat on these young guys that maybe law officials do. They have their job to do, and they have to put people in categories. But I don't. Uh, Billy Graham had an article I was just reading the other day. And it said, I've never seen a sinner who sinned so bad that God couldn't forgive them. We have to understand that. This young man has killed someone, but he's still a soul. And he's a soul that's salvageable.
0: Obviously, our heart does grieve for the family of Definite Officer Sean that. Bolton and yeah. the service and the oh, yeah. job that he performed for trying to protect us as citizens here in the city of Memphis. And we do. And our prayers do still go out to his family. Right. And what we're doing today in sharing is not to condone the actions of Tremaine Wilburn by no means, but it's easy to get so involved in the emotion, in the heartbreak, which it is. It's just gut-wrenching to think about the horrible thing that took place when Officer Bolton was shot.
1: Yeah. We understand that. they are two different things. That has happened. We mourn with the family. We pray with them. And uh, we pray that God will strengthen them to go through this. I understand that Tremont has kids. He's got a grandmother. He's got relatives and so forth. So there's hurt on both sides. And then he's a 29-year-old young man. Who, if he gets a life sentence, he's got to go through that. We could say, well, let him serve that sentence as a sinner, or he can serve it as a saint. And we have to understand, you know, murderers, robbers, these are the people that Jesus died for. And how can we hate those that Jesus died for? We don't love or condone what they did, but we love them even though they do what they do. The Bible said, while we were yet sinners, one writer said, while we were yet sinning, Christ died.
0: As we wrap up today's program, remembering the life of Pastor Ralph White of Bloomfield Baptist Church, I wrote this post on social media that I'd like to close out the program with today. My reflection of Pastor Ralph White, a true gentleman and servant of Jesus Christ whose ministry expanded beyond the walls of Bloomfield Full Gospel Baptist Church, where he pastored for over 30 years. Pastor Ralph White led by caring for the people of Memphis. He was one of 10 children who delivered the newspaper as a young boy in the same neighborhood where he grew up and later pastored in South Memphis. He worked for Sears at the Raleigh Springs Mall in sales and management for 20 years. Before becoming a pastor, he helped lead the Memphis Action Community League, a group of young people who mowed the lawns and cleaned the homes for the elderly. He cared about the young people hanging out in the parks and on the street corners. He often stopped to listen to their stories before speaking God's love and grace into their lives. He was concerned about the crime that is destroying our neighborhoods and organized prayer gatherings around the criminal justice building at 201 Poplar for a movement he defined as Hands Around 201. At times, Pastor White led his people to pray all night and walked the streets of the city at 2 a.m. to speak with drug dealers and prostitutes about God's promise of redemption. He entered the homes of Memphians who fell victim by the senseless and tragic murder of their loved ones in order to pray and show genuine compassion of Christ. He organized an annual fishing rodeo for the past 17 years with a youth in mind who didn't have the same opportunities as many others. Pastor White shared with me in a radio interview in 2009, We found that all of those that we minister to don't receive it as we administer it, but it's still our job to continue to do it. During every interview we did on the radio together, Pastor White always gave his personal mobile number for anyone to call who had a need. I'm going to miss the times we spent together. I'm going to miss hearing him call me young man, which he did so often. Visitation and wake for Pastor Ralph White will be this Friday, May 31st. From four until six p.m., followed by a memorial service at six to seven thirty p.m. at Bloomfield Church, one two three South Parkway West. The homegoing celebration will be Saturday, June first at noon at First Baptist Broad Church, twenty-eight thirty-five Broad Avenue. I'm Byron Tyler. Thanks for listening.